and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Edie Quinn, and I'd like you to hear something. Untitled by Siddiquam Nistaram, which was the first 7-inch released by my friend and today's guest, Eric Science label, Affinity Index. Now out of the label game, Eric is an accomplished poet and writer who you can read more about at asterixformemory.blogspot.com. It's just me as a little kid walking home from school. Um, we lived on like a cul-de-sac. I grew up in a pretty quiet part of Whittier, um, California. And <clears throat> we just lived on a little cul-de-sac. So I was walking home from school. I had my little backpack and everything. And uh, our house was divided by these really tall pine trees from our house and the house next door. And as I turned the corner around those pine trees, there was this red truck in our driveway that I didn't recognize. And there was, uh, like, two or three uh, men that I didn't recognize getting out of the truck. And um, they they noticed me because I'm just standing there watching this all. And then the dream ends. <laughs> and so, like, pretty generic, but also, like, kind of terrifying. And, like, um, I don't know. I've spent my whole life pretty much trying to interpret, like, what that all means. Uh, but I've never really come up with anything. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like it sounds really ominous. Actually, it's like it very like uh, you know like um, in um, in in fiction. There's that uh, the whole like uh, Pulp Fiction, what's in the suitcase thing, and so it's like totally the less you can tell someone about something, but still have it be like feel threatening, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like that's. That really, like, actually, like, you know, like, when you think about it, just like on the surface, it's like, oh, I, you know, maybe that's like, doesn't seem that frightening. But there's like, the way that your dreams are, especially, I think, probably as as a kid, and you don't have a lot of context for these situations, that's sort totally. of like, it's sort of like that... Um, it's like when when a movie is scored really well and it just like everything takes on this like intensifying effect, you know, like yep. I could totally see that being like, mm, I don't you know, this doesn't feel right. This is very unsettling for sure. But you never got anywhere with that, huh? You never like figured out like where it came from or. No, not not ever. I mean, it, it everything looks familiar except for that red truck and that those the the two or three men that were getting out of the truck and like um you know you you might want to give meaning to like the red of the truck and like you know all the all the the how many men there were why they were men or whatever but i've never actually been able to to give meaning to to that besides like the generic stuff you could find on the internet like what does red um 
supposed to represent and um, the things like that. So, yeah, I just have kind of kept it a mystery. Maybe, maybe now that I'm thinking about it, kind of intentionally, like trying not to deep dive into it too much. Um, I did like uh, talk to. I was seeing a, a therapist for a number of years, and uh, I did talk to the therapist about that, but he really sort of left it up to my interpretation. Also, he didn't necessarily just like give me the answers to like what it, what it was supposed to mean. So yeah, yeah. I think I just kind of like the generic nature of it. <laughs> also, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I, I, um, I don't really remember like a lot of uh, my dreams from childhood. Um, my dreams now are just very, very strange. And like, I, uh, a lot of times, like, um, I will tell my partner about as much as I can remember, like right away. Right. And it's always like, yep. she's just like, this is so fucking weird and doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. no, like, <clears throat> and it's kind of like that whole, like, um, like you, it's like that whole, like, you can't make that shit up, you know, air quotes thing. And it's like, right. <laughs> I wish I could, you know, sometimes, but I mean, I kind of did. So if I, if I mind my dreams for stories or whatever, that's not really, it's not cheating. Right. I mean, um, <laughs> even though like one character from one of my dreams, I realized like way later after I already like put some of this stuff like out into the ether, I was like, Oh wait, that's actually, that's like, that's actually just like a, a, a combination of like, one of my favorite like authors like names <laughs> and I was like oh yeah I like a, that's one of those things where a little bit of more like editorial uh time or whatever would have would have been good but at the same time it's like you know you could you could just say well I mean this story does have uh similar qualities so it could just like be an an homage not that you know he asked for that or anything but uh yeah, um, it's, uh, I don't know. I think dreams are really fascinating. I've read a couple books about it. I don't come out the other side with feeling like I actually learned anything. You know what I mean? But <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, it can be fun. Um, so, like, you said you grew up uh, where again? What was the name of the, the, the town? Uh, the city's, city's called Whittier. Oh, um, okay. There's two parts to Whittier. It's basically on the L.A. County, Orange County border. So okay. essentially I grew up around Orange County because that's where I mostly was stomping around once I was old enough to to uh, get out of the neighborhood. But, um, yeah, just a quiet cul-de-sac in that city. Yeah. And, like, um, as far as, like, your home life and stuff, were uh, were your parents, like, into, like – music uh were they into reading writing any any kind of like arts uh you know my parents not really explicitly um my mom was mostly the one that was taking care of me at home um my dad worked really long hours in a warehouse for general motors and so um i would rarely see him during the week and then in the weekends i'd obviously see him um so we had a strange relationship where i was mostly around my mom and yeah i mean she like played music in the house while she was doing um <clears throat> you know like chores or housekeeping type stuff um i remember 
she loved that band Wham oh, yeah? a lot. She had like a Wham tape that she always listened to, and then she had a Holland Oates tape that she always listened to. Um, and so, so that was always in our house. And then there's this radio station down uh, down there called K Earth 101 that used to play like Motown 50s and 60s Motown hits. And so. I grew up a lot with that just because that was always on in the house, in the car, everywhere you went. Um, people people love that station. Um, and that, and so I, I grew up with that. And then um, I have two older siblings. Um, my brother was really into hip-hop. So, like, in the 80s, they're, they're significantly older than I am. So, like, they're out of the house when I was pretty young. But I do remember, like, my brother had a lot of uh, hip-hop records. And would play that a lot. Um, and so I kind of grew up with that. And then my sister was really into Madonna and really into metal. <laughs> so oh. like, like hair metal. <laughs> okay. So like she, I, I grew up with, with a lot of that too. So I guess like in retrospect, it was, it was a pretty eclectic scene, but like none of them were really like super into music in terms of like playing instruments or like, um, you know, like doing dance or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. When you got, uh, like, in the appropriate grades at school or whatever, did you play any musical instruments? No, I never played any music. Um, I always kind of wanted to, and I messed around with bass a little bit once I got a little older, but um, it never really went anywhere. Um, so, no, I never, I've never done any, any music playing. So when you go back to, like, uh, you know, like uh, elementary school era, Eric, um, what what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you think you had that figured out as a kid? Or, I mean, not that you have to have anything figured out, like, even now, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm always fascinated by those, like, those childhood dreams. Like, did you, were you one of those kids that dreamed real big um, when you were younger? Uh, I think my earliest memories uh, of, like, I really wanted to be a teacher. I just thought that teaching was really cool. And, like, obviously that worked out because that's what I ended up doing. But um, I was just always that type of kid that was, like, <clears throat> instead of paying attention to the teacher, I was walking around the classroom socializing, trying to help the other kids out with their work that they were doing. I was always just sort of, like, you know, befriending a lot of different people, a lot of different kids. I, you know, once you – obviously, once you get into, like, maybe sixth grade, seventh grade, you start um, maybe – uh, identifying for better or worse, like the kids that are like quote unquote cool or whatever, you know, and the kids mm -hmm. that are like quote unquote nerds, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which obviously doesn't mean anything like, you know, and it really, and obviously doesn't mean anything when, when you get older, but like, uh, I, I tended to just try to be friends with everybody and just try to try to get along with, with people and, and hang out and have a good time. So what, if you had to put yourself into one of those categories as a kid, though, which one did you fall into? Were you, like, the person that got along with everyone because, like, you could, like, make them crack a laugh? Or, like, were you, like, you, you mentioned, like, helping people with schoolwork. Like, were you, like, people's friends because of situations like that or... Yeah, I think kind of a combination of both, probably. I, I consider myself um, pretty introverted, even though, like, I can force myself to, to be social in situations most of the time. Um, 
so I think I was I was pretty quiet, um, a pretty quiet kid, but also you know like just just I guess friendly enough to everybody. <laughs> I don't know if that even answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like I'm just thinking about like um, like my my experience in high school. It was like there were a lot of situations where. I would go in and out of like certain kinds of cliques or whatever, because I was just not, um, I just didn't have like a, like a, a, I didn't have like a hard headed mentality about any specific thing. Like there were, you know, jock kids that were like, "Ugh, we're jocks." You know, you you all are fucking nerds. You know, and then and <laughs> you all are skaters. And it and like, I mean, that's the kids that I hung out with were like skaters and kids right. who listen to punk rock and stuff. But like at the same time, like, um, like for whatever reason, like, you know, this one really goofy ass jock kid like thought I was cool. So like, they didn't mess with me. <laughs> You know, yeah. and then like, and then like, there was like, <clears throat> excuse me, like kind of like a, like a, you know, cheerleader type like um, girl that like I would just like, you know, I was probably one of the only people that like talked to her like, uh, like another person instead of like whatever they thought they should talk to someone like that as. And so like we were like right. friends and it's like, there was just, um, I don't know. It was kind of weird because like, I mean, around town, like that didn't m- matter as much. Like you still, you know, people throwing beer bottles out their trucks at you, calling you skater this and skater that, you know, but like right, at school right. I didn't, you know, I didn't get messed with a whole lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting how like um different that experience can be when you just sort of like have learned to go with like the flow, you know, and and how you can like learn to navigate um these different like social circles. Um Yeah, definitely. I don't know, it's like something that I I definitely like I definitely haven't always been able, you know, to do that, but um yeah, um so like when when you were in high school, um, I'm assuming that's when you start like uh, becoming like more interested in like um, DIY like ethos and and like is this when you like started getting into like independent magazine and like and as far as like you know literature goes and stuff is this when you started like pursuing like uh, like reading and writing like on your own or was it even before that? Um, so I think in terms of punk, I'll answer that first. Um, I started getting into, I was, I started getting into skating and and punk in my sophomore year of high school. Um, and so I was listening to like propaganda and no effects and all those like skate punk bands. Mm Um, And that carried on through um, to my senior year of high school. Um, 
it wasn't really until I graduated and went to community college that I really did like a deep dive and really was like getting into all the different um, intricacies and different uh, quote unquote genres of punk. Um, I pretty much just sort of stuck with the the like skater punk stuff when I was in high school. And I think it might have just been um, like uh, accessibility. I, I wasn't really friends enough with a lot of the kids that also were skaters and into punk to really like, um, get recommendations from them or like borrow magazines or any of that stuff that you, that might accelerate your sort of, um, knowledge and involvement. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so I would say like, yeah, I got into punk like sophomore, junior, year and then after i graduated high school is really when i when i started getting into all that stuff um and in terms of writing i was always interested in writing even as a little kid my mom when i um <clears throat> moved to san jose um gave me like this folder that had all these old writings <laughs> that i had done in elementary school um which was pretty funny that she'd kept them for so long so like um i'd always been interested in writing but i didn't really um do that either like really do a deep dive until years later um where i was actually actively writing as a practice and reading as much poetry and uh i, I was always into fiction but i guess reading of poetry wasn't really a thing that i was too interested in until until later um so <clears throat> okay yeah um <clears throat> since we we're talking about uh skating and stuff um what were you like who were like your big like influences like in skateboarding or I, I guess influences is the wrong word, but like who, you know, who were your top skaters that you were just like, you know, obsess over or like, you know, like you'd have to like see their new video or did you have a, a situation like that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So Jeff Raleigh was like my all time favorite uh, oh, okay. skater. Um, I I really liked Eric Costin too, just because he had a good style. And I like that he um, wasn't afraid to like show his emotions and get pissed off when he couldn't land a trick. He's he's always mad in all the videos that I've ever seen him in. Um, and it, I think that's awesome that he he isn't afraid to show his emotions. It seems like a lot of skaters are a little frustrated about not landing trick, but don't really like go all out like him. And I think that may just be part of his process of like pumping himself up to get the trick done or something. Yeah. But, um, I remember, uh, that there was a Volcom video that came out called freedom wig and, um, Jeff Raleigh was in that video. And that's the first time that I, that I'd ever seen him skate. <clears throat> and I believe I might be, um, wrong, but I think one of his earlier parts in the video is him skating, just skating a bowl. And it was just like mesmerizing to see him just like rolling back and forth and doing tricks off the lip. And like, I don't know, just his style. And like, uh, he was one of the first skaters that I, that I had seen that was wearing like jeans that like fit instead of these like big baggy jeans, like his, his outfits were always like, like fitted, I guess you could yeah. say <laughs> for yeah. back then. Um, and so, so yeah, that, that video also was the first time I'd ever heard that, um, Black Sabbath song, Supernaut. That was like the opening song for, for the video. And, um, that just like blew me away. I'm just like, who is this band? This is so like 
loud. There's like so much going on and it's so like loud and like encompassing just a super rad. I don't know. I love that video. I think it's still on YouTube and I like will watch it every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I have to check that out. Yeah. One thing that I, that you mentioned is like, yeah, I definitely, that the big thing that like made me like, as far as Jeff Rowley goes, is like, he just like he dressed so much different. Like he looked like he could have been in an in an emo band, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was just like, <clears throat> damn! Like, when did skaters get like hot? Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what ha- what happened? Um, but yeah, I yeah. don't know. It's um, it's wild. Like, I love thinking about like back. I mean, I think my time in skating was a little bit before yours. And so that is sort of like the next generation of after, because like I quit before, like I sort of quit cold Turkey with skating because I like hurt my wrist. And it was like right when I first started playing guitar and I was like, just devastated that I couldn't play guitar, you know, for like two weeks or however long it was, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I never, I never went back to it because, I mean, there's been a couple of times, like, my kids, like, they'll get into skating, like, <laughs> casually, totally. and I'll just be like, oh, yeah, like, I can, you know, I can, like, do a trick or whatever. So, like, I'll ollie down, like, two stairs, and they'll <laughs> think you're, like, amazing, you know, and so you totally. just leave it at that. <laughs> Especially like now, I can't imagine like how long it would take my body to knit back together after, you know, one minor tumble, you know, like I, shit, I got, I was doing a, um, I was doing a wood block carving and I, I jabbed my, uh, finger in my left hand and, um, there's a piece I think there's a piece of wood still in it and it's like I can't like play the guitar this exact same way because there's this because of this small dumb accident that I had like a couple months (laughs) ago like I can't imagine you know something like I don't know it's like I've I've had like um like my partner like was talking about how one time she asked her mom, like, something like, when did you start, like, 
feeling like, you know, you're really old or something. And she said, like, when she turned, like, right around the time when she turned 50, she just noticed that, like, she would be sick for longer. And, 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 she, and if she hurt herself, even if it was just, like, a small thing, it would just linger for longer. And that kind of shit just, like, terrifies me, you know? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, not even there, you know? But I'm, like, I'm just, like, can't get hurt can't get hurt like danger around every corner like i don't know but, yeah uh, no i feel that when i when i turned 40 um i like i was like oh man everything hurts a little more than than it used to and like things hurt that didn't ever hurt before like now i have like knee problems where like one knee will hurt one day then the other knee will hurt the next day like my my ankles kind of messed up for some reason that might be like an old skateboarding thing that's like showing up now that i'm like older so like yeah i totally feel that yeah. and things just start like coming out of the woodwork yeah like i didn't even do anything you know like <laughs> I, right i've been playing it so safe now all of a sudden i'm you know i'm in pain i mean it's, yeah i don't know like i had i had a thing like for a long time it's like you saying that one of your knees hurts and then the other one randomly will where it's like, because I actually like hurt one of my knees a long time ago. And then, so then like when it would start acting up, I would, I would like favor it basically, yep, you know? Totally. And so that's when the other one would start hurting. Cause you're like, you don't necessarily notice, but you're like adjusting like everything you do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you're creating yeah. all this stress that the other knee isn't used to. And then it's just like, I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, what else are you going to do? If, if your right knee hurts really bad, then you just like try to baby it. And I don't know, you know, yeah, it's sometimes I've been it's icing, <laughs> icing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're really like, yeah, I mean, anyway, like all the 25 year olds that are listening to this right now are just like, the, you know, <laughs> thanks for dialing into, you know, the uh, the Scrampa channel. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. It's yeah, like I it's kind of funny, too, because like I've talked about like how I felt about getting older sometimes. And I've said that like, um, like. I never had like the uh, midlife crisis, like I want to buy a fast red sports car moment, but I've definitely <laughs> had that thing where like, <clears throat> I'm like, okay, um, I have to be able to play the drums like way faster for no reason whatsoever. Like I don't even, I don't need to play this song faster, but here we go. And that's like my red sports car moment is just trying to play <laughs> everything way faster than it needs to be. And just like, you know, just being like that, like, I'm not too old for this shit, you know, like mentality, just being like, um, nope, if I'm not playing as fast as I possibly can, then that means I'm getting old. If I'm getting old, I should just hang it up. So like, <laughs> all right, count it off. Just like go. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> there's no I don't know if there's an an equivalent to that in um writing poetry then then uh what would that be uh hmm, that's a good question um 
Like, is there a, is there not necessarily in your own writing, but is, is there a, a, a tendency in, in some older poets or like some peers that you've noticed to be uh, more like provocative or, or edgy, or is there some, is there some like sort of like, uh, ill-advised, like, no, I can still get down, you know, get down with the, with the young, the young poets. Like, is there, <laughs> is there a comparison? I know I'm just like grasping straws here, but. Uh, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Well, but, uh... <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's a really good question though. Now I'm trying to think like, has there ever been a time where I like felt like I had to keep up with, with, um, younger younger poets the only thing maybe that would be equivalent is just like like book output or just like manuscript output like just people that that keep putting new shit out it seems like every couple months and you're just like how are you finding the time to write so much and to make it all fucking good like i can't do that yeah yeah (laughs) is it because i'm older I don't know, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the only, the real, the only real, um, equivalency I could think of. Um, I remember like a couple times, um, when I lived in San Jose, I would do, uh, like writing workshops at like, uh, the local, um, LGBTQ plus, uh, space. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt like they, all the kids there were like just way beyond like what I was trying to do like like i was really trying to like baby almost and like do like the very first like beginning intro to to poetry and then like once they all had a chance to write it was all just amazing shit for like you know working for like an hour on a (laughs) on a poem or something so (laughs) maybe that too like okay i don't have to baby this so much like you all already know what you're doing (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> or like I need to keep up with y'all. So that that might be another example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I was going to say like um the the like point that you made about output and like yeah, um I think maybe some of that has to do with like um just uh not 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 like not even saying this as like a naive thing, but like just there's a there's an element of like confidence that needs to be present to um, push through a lot of your uh, a lot of your like fear of the bank blank page, a lot of your like, you know, um, like start starter anxiety you know things like that yeah and so i feel like yeah as far as like like you know speaking for myself like that kind of thing definitely wasn't present when i was you know younger necessarily um but uh i have let go of some other things that were more present when i was younger which is like um just like uh um like revision i like revising everything to death and stuff like that right. you know like yep, totally. so so that's you know i think my i've sort of leveled out as opposed to like um a lot of people might um might might think that certain things were easier for them 
when they were younger. I'm sort of like the opposite because I <clears throat> put way less pressure on myself now, I guess. Right. But um, I, do your experiences with like these workshops and stuff, did, did, that, uh, ed, did that affect you like adversely as far as like that goes? Or did you feel pressure because these young people seem to just like get it in a snap? um uh i don't know if i felt pressure maybe just jealousy (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. like i didn't like i said i didn't really start seriously trying to write um poetry until when like 2013 or something um and so it hasn't been that long of a of a time for me writing and so i'm always really jealous of people that that um realize their potential, I guess, sooner and write sooner, start writing sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since I, I did it so late. Uh, and yeah. I, I guess maybe it was always there, but I just never really tapped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe that. I, I love doing workshops with youth, though. Like, it's always really rewarding. The stuff that they, they do is amazing and you feel really good and they feel really good. And so um, when I was uh, still teaching, actually, a couple of students who I found that were interested in doing it um, would make zines with me as part of like a class project. So they'd like, we'd work on 10 poems and we'd work on revising those 10 poems together uh, very gently. Like I, I was giving them um, edit edits, but like, you know, also saying like, you can tell me to fuck off if you want to, <laughs> like you don't have to listen to me. Um, but this is, this might be like what I do, what I would do. Yeah. Um, and then we'd make zines together and then they'd have this like tangible thing that they, they could show their friends and family and, and whatnot. So that's awesome. And did you, yeah. like what, <clears throat> what percentage of folks that you um, had these experiences with had already been initiated to like making like physical like zines and stuff like that? Uh, none of them. None. No, none of the, none of the kids had ever, had ever, worked with zines or knew what zines were um there was one uh actually that's not true there's one kid who this was down in hermosa beach so like um where black flag was from (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like his uh his godfather was like one of the dudes from black flag and so like his dad was an older guy and was into the punk back in the 80s and so he totally influenced this kid too so this kid was super into punk he always wore like cool band shirts and every time i saw him at school like the first time i saw him at, at the school when i when i got there uh i really tripped out because i saw this kid who had like you know uh a shirt of a of a punk band that like i wouldn't have known in high school you know like mm-hmm. maybe a little deeper deeper dive than like the the um the i don't know if i want to use this word i'm not trying to be insulting but like the starter the starter punk type sure you know what i mean sure um and so that really tripped me out and and i immediately was like oh man we should do writing together and like do you know what a zine and he's like yeah my dad has a bunch of those like i love those so he brought some of his dad's in and like i brought some in that i had and like it was it was really cool so yeah, I guess I guess that one student in particular, but none of the other kids had ever really experienced or um, encountered zines before. Yeah, how did you feel that <clears throat> that whole thing w- went over? Like, were people like 
do you think that like people were inspired to to do like more on their own? Like as I mean, not not just like writing, but like did people get really interested in the creating of the physical um, aspect of it? Yeah, totally. Uh, this one kid in particular, Owen, he he's an amazing writer. Um, and so we did a couple zines together and then he actually took it upon himself to find places to do readings around town and was like making his own zines when he went off to college. So, um, it was really cool to see him just like totally embrace this like poetry scene that he wouldn't have been exposed to, um, maybe, or at least at that time, if he hadn't had that class with me and we were like, I was giving him the space to, to do the writing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really rewarding (laughs) i you know i it's um it's it's wild now like with um with the uh sort of like i mean i i wouldn't say ease because um it sometimes it still feels like it's a lot of hoops to go through and stuff but like how you can just like google um someplace to like get print work done or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. It's made it to me to where, like, I really cherish, like, the, like, single piece of uh, printer paper, like, folded in half, like, style zines, like, that much more. Because yeah. um, <clears throat> there's just something about it that's always going to be more, like... Like, I mean, yeah, you could upload these files to Staples and like you, you know, a lot of people probably will and that's how they do it. But there's just like a, an accessibility in it, to that, that I, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll always have a soft spot for it. And like, as far as like people that are still doing that, like my friends and, and some, um, some artists that I know that still make their comics that way and stuff like that. I'm just like, Oh, this is so fucking cool. Like that. This is still a thing, you know? Um, like it doesn't have to like, you know, just because you can make a PDF out of it. Like it doesn't mean you should only do the zine and it doesn't mean you should only do the PDF. Like obviously you can do whatever the hell you want. You could do both. You could do neither, you know, but, um, like, right. Yeah. It's just like, There's something that's so, like, I mean, just, like, just having, just, like, having all those memories of just, like, cutting things out of magazines and collaging them and Xeroxing them. And the more you Xerox it, the shittier it looks. And it's kind of like the cooler it looks in a way, you know, and just like having all those experiences and like, Oh shit. Like uh, I got the, I got the pages wrong. Like this is, you know, we got to redo the layout on this. So you like, you had to rip a bunch of stuff up and repaste it, but yeah, I don't know. It's so cool. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, speaking of like, you know, making like physical artifacts and stuff, um, back, I guess, uh, I don't, um, what I was seeing, I think, was uh, 2007. Is that when you started Affinity Index? Yeah, totally. So, 2007, um, I uh, was living down in LA, and my best friend was still at the college that I had just graduated from in um, 2006, which was Cal State Monterey Bay. 
Um, and another one of my friends was also living there <clears throat> and, uh, they were actually living together. And so, um, I wasn't, I didn't really have anything going on in, in LA and I was like, shit, I'm going to move back to school and, uh, get my teaching credential and it'll be awesome to just live with my two best friends in like a silly student apartment and do my thing. So, um, I moved up there. Um, and at the time my friend, uh, Ian, had just started his label, which was Communique Records. Okay. Um, and he'd done a couple releases already without me. Um, but when he found out I was moving back, he was like, hey, there's this um, this band from New Mexico named Tizaticum Mysterum. Um, sorry, AJ, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, but uh, he's like, do you want to get in on that? And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's, let's do it. And so... Um, I was like, I'll start a label <laughs> and we'll co-release it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we did. <laughs> yeah. I, it's wild too, because I remember, uh, it's been a couple of years now since, and I know right now, if AJ is listening to that, as soon as I said, it's been and left that pause there, then, you know, AJ's going to the next part in the song. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, uh, it's been a while since I chatted with AJ about that, but then, um, when I was like looking at the uh, the label Discogs page, I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's right!" Like, um, you did release uh, Baby AJ's first band, and um, yep, <laughs> and that was like your first two releases, even. Um, so it was your friend Ian that sort of introduced you uh, to the band. Like, how did how, how did um, you all even come to know them like before that did did you know know them at all or how did ian come to know them no so um that's a great question i so ian and ian and i were real like or are still kindred spirits when it comes to quote-unquote screamo so we'd we'd make um tapes for each other at the end of the school year every school year since we went to school together um and we'd be gone for the summer of like all the new shit that we've discovered, like that whole school year, plus whatever, you know, random stuff downloading on soul seek that we'd found mm-hmm. and could put on, could put on tape. So, um, so yeah, he discovered them. Um, and I don't know how I'm sure just in one of his, you know, deep dives, um, of, of scrams, um, found, found AJ's band, and really, really dug whatever he he found. It must have been a maybe it was a MySpace page. I don't know. I can't really speculate because I've never actually asked Ian this question. But I would imagine it'd be some uh, out of date website that had songs on it. Um, and you, I mean, you know, AJ is such a friendly, like outgoing person. I'm sure that AJ was all about it immediately and was like, "Yeah, I'll send you the songs. Awesome, cool." So. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Ian sent me the song and I was like, wow, this is so good. This is like a throwback to the, the old sort of older screamo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song was about like good consent. And so it like had a good message behind it. And I don't know, just, just something about the raw, real raw emotion, um, of the recording. So yeah, that that was the first release. And speaking of, you know, making art and and messing things up and it being okay, um, that was also uh, Ian and I decided to screen print the uh, 
the records. And so um, the B side was supposed to have like a flower um, in like a yellow ink on it. Um, and so we had to like burn the screen ourselves. Then we had to screen all the records and like some of them, the side that actually was playable got screen printed on accident. Like we ran out of yellow, so we had to use another color. So there's like a million variants out there of this mm-hmm. record <laughs> because of that. Um, and, but, but yeah, it was just really fun to like spend like a couple weeks screen printing every, every afternoon when we were home and like just stuff drying all over the house and like. Yeah, it just reminded me of what we were talking about before. I wouldn't have thought that that was like something that was accidental because like when AJ and I had our uh, band, The Longer We Stray From The Light, like we had um, recorded an album, we did a five day tour. So we were making the tapes for that. And AJ was just like, like, what other color tapes you got? Like, we got to do a tour edition. We got to do these different, you know? And I was like, (laughs) I was like, yeah, I mean, I could see that totally just being like, let's do a hundred with this color, a hundred, this color, you know, or whatever. But, um, yeah. Well, he did, he did do that. So he screen printed the sleeves and it was just this like construction sleeve. And he did like a, a million different colors and a million different inks for those colors. So yeah, that's also like a, a lot of different variants because of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, good luck. Anybody who's trying to put together a set of those. Uh, but, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't even have any more copies of that. So, <laughs> right. That's uh that's wild. Um I think it's I think according to what I was seeing um after those first couple of releases you released something from Child Meadow. Like now that's a band um are, okay, are they from Germany? Uh France. France. Okay. I yeah. I don't my mistake. Um but like so how did you get in touch with them at that time? Was that just like that like golden age like where facebook was just beginning to like and you could you know message people overseas really easily (laughs) etc etc or yeah uh partly that partly so those those two were also in a band called bokanovsky um and they did a u.s tour um with this band malady who was from tijuana and those dudes were friends of mine um, from the Southern California punk days, um, they played a lot in San Diego and San Diego is only like an hour and a half from, uh, Orange County. So we'd go down there a lot to see them and they'd come up and play shows in Orange County and around Orange County and LA. So, um, they did a tour together and they did Oakland and San Francisco. And my friend, uh, was randomly, randomly to me, super into Bokanovsky. I hadn't heard it really, um, but they introduced me to Bokanovsky 
And I was like, oh, shit, this is rad. So um, we went out to the shows, and uh, I think they did three Bay Area shows. um, And we went to all three. And just in that time period, also became friends with them and were hanging out with them when they were... uh, when they were not playing music. Um, and so, so yeah, we just became friends then and kept in touch. And then, uh, they were like, Hey, we have this new band. It's just a two piece. Uh, do you want to hear the songs? Are you interested in, in putting it out? And I immediately was like, yes, let's do it. Um, it's funny in Europe how like, uh, I don't really see the scene in the United States that much, but I'm also not maybe as locked in as you. So maybe you can tell me if this exists, but like, it seems like in Europe, it's a thing to just get as many labels as possible to like be in on a release, <laughs> like, and especially like the different countries around Europe. So like, there's a label in the Czech Republic that like is putting it out and two labels in Germany and a label in France. And then like, maybe, uh, oh man, what's that? person's name that is in the philippines that has been around forever maybe is it Arwith? oh yeah that's malaysia though but yeah oh malaysia sorry (laughs) yeah Yeah. so you know then then Arwith might be like oh yeah i'll put Mm -hmm. that out i'll put a version out here in malaysia too Mm -hmm. and so just like a million labels getting in on it um and so uh i and then uh chris goff slash matt surrey's old label texas toast also um were the two U.S. labels to to get in on putting that out? Yeah, yeah. To answer your question, it's it's um, I mean, when I when we first started doing uh, Coma Regalia, you know, back in 2010, we had a release. One of our, I mean, none of our first releases had um, very many labels on it, but there was a release that was pretty early in our um. <clears throat> discography or whatever uh i guess it's you know a few years after we started but uh it was our split with we had a deal and they're from germany and i remember somebody made a comment about there being a lot of labels on that release um i didn't like coordinate that release uh the um amisha from we had a deal did Mm -hmm. um so like and i just thought it was cool because i always just thought like, wow, it's really fucking wild that, like, someone in this country is going to have this record in their hand. Like, even if it was just the person doing the label, you know, but it's it's not. It's, like, them and five of their friends or 20 of their friends, you know, who knows, you know. Totally. But, um, like, I just thought it was really cool. And um, I didn't understand, like, people, yeah, people were basically, like, they were shit-talking it. Like, oh, these labels, like, can't come up with enough money on, you know, their own to, like, pay for this record and so they have to have all these blah 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 and it really was like it really made me kind of like you know like what are we like what what like what are we saying when we say something like that like what are we saying like that the intent of doing this is like like somebody doesn't have enough money to put this out by themselves it's like this is like thousands of dollars sometimes, you know, like (laughs) nobody should be burdened that like uh, over like a a screamo record, you know, like um, even though, you know, I've done it, you know, myself. Um, But uh, yeah, I think it was something that was uh, much more commonly accepted 
in Europe uh, than than in the states where um, <clears throat> where people would sort of uh, be like, well, um, this like I think there's instances where it it made sense that people like there would only be two labels in the states, like you said, you know, um, right? Because you're talking about like a band that's probably like not going to tour here, you know? Right. And so it's like, <laughs> you don't want, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spread this out to a bunch of labels, like in the States or whatever. But um, right. <clears throat> what's weird is I, I've even noticed like over the last few years that labels in Europe and stuff have started to sort of adopt that same mentality. Like there's been a lot of, you know, um, times where it's like, well, I want to be the only label in this country. And like, I, 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 you know, like I kind of get that too, but it's like, I was also kind of like, you know, it is wild. Like after having toured over there, like when you're like, I mean, there's like red tape and stuff to go through, but like, as far as like actually traveling, like, I mean, we went through like five countries one day, you know what I mean? Right. And, and we wouldn't have yeah. even been like halfway to California, you know? So like, yeah, so, totally. so, um, if you look at it in that sense, like it, the comparison between the United States and like labels in Europe, like being happy to cooperate, et cetera, et cetera, was like never there, you know, because, like, it's just the difference between, like, someone from, you know, uh, a label from France and a label from, like, Germany. That's just the difference between a label from Florida and a label from Kentucky or something, right. you know? It's, like, yeah. not that. Um, but, yeah, it's, I don't know. I <clears throat> Like I said, I mean, I always thought that was cool because, I mean, it's wild. Like, I don't know if you ever reflected on this when you were, like, screening um those uh records and stuff like that but it's like wild when you like see something like when i see a record like somebody will be like oh i found this coma regalia record in this shop in cologne germany and i'm like yeah i touched that record like every single one of those records like ha i touched them you know like because those covers are screen printed or whatever, you know what I mean? Like I touched yeah. every single one of them. Like I touched that record. Now it's on the other side of the world. And like, that's just really wild to me, you know, like no matter where this goes, like it, it, it's, it came from my basement first, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a cool reflection. Yeah. I never really thought about that, but that's super, that's super cool to think about. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it's really fun when you think like sometimes when you think like, you know, damn, I haven't done shit this week. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you're like, I don't know. There's this thing out there somewhere that hopefully someone's appreciating, you know. But um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, you know, you the label went on for a while. And like, certainly, I mean, um, like y'all released uh, End Ship by Matsuri and like. I mean, I think that's, um, I, I'd be hard pressed to really, I'd be hard pressed to 
come up with a better record uh, for that, like, nearly entire decade of music, you know? Like, I mean, that record is just phenomenal. Uh, So, like, I mean, thank you for being a part of that. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, like, uh, labels, you know, it's they're hard to keep going. Um, So when you decide, like, okay, uh, like, I, you know, I'm not going to do a label anymore. Um, is that when, like, where were you at in your life? Is that when you were like, you know, figuring out like the next thing where, how far into getting your like teaching certification and like, was that a turning point for you to like move on to something else? Yeah. So, uh, that the label ended shortly after that Matsuri record. Um, there was a bunch of delays with that record also. So it didn't really have the like grand release that, that everyone had hoped for. Um, and I don't know, there's a lot of labor of love and, and like, I don't know, I, I'm friends with all those dudes. So it just, it just meant a lot and felt like a good place to stop. I think, mm-hmm. um, not that there was other records that I, that I probably would have, would have done i had like had talks with other people and other bands that that maybe i would have tried to do something with but um just also in that time period uh i had um right after i got my teaching credential i'd moved to sacramento um for a relationship that ended up failing (laughs) um and so right when that relationship sort of started to fizzle out um i had moved back home to live in uh with my parents and like uh struggling to find work as a new teacher because the teaching market as it actually still is now it was uh really difficult to to get into um and to make like a decent wage in um yeah and so i just i just knew i just kind of came to the conclusion that like i wasn't going to be able to to afford to to put records out anymore mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and is this also the same time or like where does your desire to start like producing your own like um sorry just <laughs> something just fell and I can't figure out what it is. Oh. <laughs> like <laughs> no problem. <laughs> where does this um, where does like your desire to start creating your own like poetry, um, like not just like uh, like your physical, uh, you know, I I've I've seen you refer to them as chat books, so I don't I don't know if that's what you would call every um, release that you've done of your work, um, but where did the like where in this time frame did your desire to start releasing your poetry like in physical formats um come about was that only in the last few years or uh no so that was actually shortly after all of that i i ended up um feeling i i'm like a sucker for nostalgia i feel like i'm constantly in like a state of nostalgia for bands or things or music or whatever Mm -hmm. um and I had decided like, okay, I can't find anything down here. There's a job that I applied to up in Monterey. So returning to the scene of the crime, returning to Monterey where I had spent my undergrad and my teaching credential, um, I ended up moving back to Monterey 
Um, and in that time period is when I started uh, experimenting with poetry and, and writing. And uh, sort of related to that, in 2001, my uh, father passed away from pulmonary fibrosis. Um, and we didn't have the best relationship. But, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe as, as people do with their, with their parents, um, he was, uh, he was an alcoholic, so my childhood wasn't, uh, the best because of that. And I hadn't really ever, uh, <clears throat> sort of like reconciled or like thought about or like tried to work through anything that I was feeling from, uh, his passing. And so, uh, for whatever reason, once I moved back to Monterey, um, I just, started finding a lot of inspiration um and a lot of uh just doing a lot of healing i guess um and from both of those things came came a lot of the writing um the book that that came out uh on the operating system in 2018 that's basically all about uh just memories of my father and and our relationship and and things like that so um, I would say that's when I it all kind of came to a head and I started using writing as an outlet. And to be honest, you bring up a really good point. I never really thought of maybe like after the label dying, that was like my next thing. Like, okay, now I'm ready to, to write and like work all this shit out because like I'm not focusing on doing a label and like being like super embedded in into the punk scene anymore or, you know. Yeah. Um, I never actually thought about it like that, but that's a really good point that you bring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I think it's like, you know, uh, it was, it was maybe like whatever of me to assume that that was a transitional period, but it, from, you know, just from our chat here, uh, when you're talking about like, um, how, you know, you were screen printing these, these uh, covers and everything. And this is just like one instance. I'm, I know with the Matsuri record, there was also uh, lots of variants and stuff like that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like, yeah, I mean, just being able to relate to that as sort of a, uh, a, um, a, a meditative like process or just like a, a, almost like a cathartic process, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it was, it was, uh, it, it felt natural for me to assume that like, you're the kind of person that, likes to keep you know busy with you know um things like that so uh that's i i guess how i jumped to that conclusion um yeah makes sense <laughs> when, when you like when you fully not fully as in you don't uh still go to shows or still listen to music and stuff like that. But when you fully like sort of said, okay, and so I'm going from this to this and, um, started like, like, I know you, you do a lot of like, or have done, um, like readings and, and stuff like that. Um, how much of your experience in like DIY punk rock, like will translate directly into that as far as like, sort of like uh chatting with folks for the like gig as it were or whatever like how much of that is similar and how much of it like what are the similarities and the differences between you know those two types of performances as far as like booking them um getting ready for them you know the whole works yeah that's that's an interesting question um 
I would say that it seems, at least in my experience, with a lot of the Bay Area poets, maybe specifically, that they all have had some sort of um, uh, past experience or, like, have di- <laughs> to, to use, like, a silly phrase, like, have dipped their toes into the punk rock, you know? And mm-hmm. so, like, I think music, just, like, in general, is... is pretty a pretty common space for a lot of bay area poets um and so i think it's pretty similar in terms of like hitting somebody up and saying hey um i want to read at this place um or i want to i want to host a reading um pretty pretty similar to like hitting up a show space to play a show um i think that maybe there's a lot more uh hmm I was going to use the word gatekeeping, but I don't think that's the right word because that's a really strong word. I just think maybe there's a lot of like... uh, There's like more formality to it or... Yeah, that's a better way of saying it. There's a lot... It seems like there's a lot more formality to it um, Mm -hmm. in terms of people needing to sort of know who you are or or know your work or like your work in order to be... uh, invited to do readings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess it's also similar with like chatting with people at, at, uh, shows and chatting with people at readings where there, there's sort of like a facade sometimes with, with people. Um, I, for like, no matter how social of a person I am, even though I'm pretty introverted, I I keep saying that (laughs) I swear I am. Um, I think that like, uh, when I was younger, I really hated, uh, like having these fake conversations with people where we were just talking about like, Hey, it's been so long. Like, how are you? What have you been up to? And like, neither of us really give a shit about what the other person has been up to, but we're still going through the formalities of having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that, exists um also sometimes in readings where you sort of like maybe you're unfamiliar with a person's work or maybe just kind of don't like the person's work but you're still um uh you know being being nice (laughs) yeah and uh talking with them in a in a way that's i mean i wouldn't talk with anyone in a way that is shitty but you know just just plain nice i guess is a is a similarity if that makes sense yeah um I never like performed with punk, but with readings, I actually kind of hate them. I get so anxious doing them, um, in the, like before and during and then after. Um, so I try not to do too many. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you don't come away with any kind of like, it's, you feel bad after as well. You don't, there's no like elation or, um, there's, yeah, there's elation, but I also kind of, still feel like anxious like man i can't believe i just did that i'm I never bombed. gonna do that again <laughs> like yeah i mean it's i think that you know that's gotta be like you know i i think i i was i was definitely chatting with aj about that as well um because aj started doing comedy for a while and oh um, yeah it's like yeah i mean you had to go and do like the you know, the only thing that's more like mentally exhausting than fronting a screamo band, you know, cause you're just out there <laughs> like by yourself, just like being like, please hate me, you know, like, yep. and, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, the closest I've ever done is like 
you know, doing like a, a sort of like a solo, like an acoustic performance or something. But even then you got a guitar to sort of, you know, uh, hide behind or whatnot. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I can see, I can see how it would be. Um, but yeah, uh, like, I guess that's, you know, one of those things and, and I don't want this to, you know, come off the wrong way, but, um, why do you do readings at all then if it's like, what, um, what do you, is it, is it just like the prospect of, um, of, of presenting your work to someone who would not otherwise come across it? Is it like that, like, like engaging with a, a new reader or, or like, you know, peer or. Yeah, I think it's partly that and partly just, um, I, I feel more comfortable when it's people I know. So if it's someone that I know and respect and, 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 um, enjoy their work, and they invite me to do a reading, like, of course, I'm going to do it regardless of, of me being nervous or not, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I didn't mean that to be, like, like suggestive suggestive in any way, like, like why do you oh, do it? No, why no, don't no. you just not do it? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it, I get it. It's you're, just, you're good. <laughs> it's like, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the goal? And, yeah, I mean, um, I, you know, I've never done any kind of, um, reading or anything like that. But I mean, to me, really, uh, just the, um, the, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the event itself could be the, um, the reward, you know, just the fact that you are, it's like when we play with a band that's like five times better than us, you know, it's like, holy shit, but we got to play with them though. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it yeah. could almost be like you said, like, it's like your friends or like someone whose work you admire. And so you're like, oh shit, I got to read at the same, you know, uh, the same reading as like Ellie Stoudemire or whatever, you know, like, yeah. like kind of thing. So like, yeah, that's, you know, I could get that as well. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, as we're like, you know, wrapping up or whatever, um, what's what have you like what are your like uh like how can people read your work and like what do you have that's like uh still in print or or you know that people can can get a hold of is there like do you have like a website somewhere that has all of your stuff collected or yeah, so um, I've gone through several websites because similar to when, uh, I guess it's just a, an aside, but <laughs> similar to when I was running a label, I would like have a website and then I'd be so annoyed by the fact that like no one was looking at the website. So I'd just be like, okay, whatever. People know, like who know who I am will like pick up records and it doesn't matter if no one else does. And so <laughs> I, I've I've sort of navigated like my writing in a similar way where I'm like, I, I had this paid site for a while, but it didn't seem like it was doing anything. That, and I don't even like necessarily know what, what that even means. Like what, what quote unquote success would look like for like a website. But anyways, I have a blog. It's asterisk for memory at blogspot.com. Um, and you could read all the stuff that I've done online um, as well as purchase. If you Want to my first book that was out on the operating system in 2018, which is a press from New York. Um, 
and my two books that, well, I self-released a book that is perfect bound called Lucid Traversal, uh, which is a book where I <clears throat> wrote um, little vignettes of my experiences during the beginning of the shutdown of the pandemic. Um, so I wrote for an entire year and um, just short little vignettes, and then I put it all together in a collection. Um, so that's available. And then my friend Ian, who ran Communicate Records, started a book press called Little Skull Press, and he published my collection of short stories. Um, so that's fiction, and that is also available on the website, uh, as well as a chapbook that I just released um, that has hand screen covers. I put it all together myself. Uh, oh, it's called An Essay, A Ritual. So it consists of an essay that was published uh, last year online and then um, some rituals that I did uh, for my father and my uh, my ancestors, or not, yeah, I guess ancestors' relatives that have passed away. Um, some, some rituals that I did um, at different sites. So... That's all my stuff right now that is in print. And that was my conversation with Eric Science. Thank you so much, Eric, for taking the time to chat with me. This conversation was truly a long time in the making. If you'd like to see what I've been up to in the meantime... Go to patreon.com slash human machine and check out the comics and other things that I've been doing there. Until next time, take care and do good things.